0: Hello, Mustang fans, and welcome to another Ford Performance edition of the Mustang Owners Podcast. I'm your host, John Klor. You know, from my years with AutoWeek Magazine, this Ford Special Vehicle Team, Ford Racing, and now Ford Performance, I've always known that everyone has a Mustang story. So to that end, I hope you're reading my efforts tell your story in the enthusiast section of fordperformance.com as well as keeping up with the latest happenings in the Mustang hobby by checking out fordperformanceclubconnect.com every week. My co-host is a Mustang hobby and industry insider who is perhaps best known as the longtime president of the Mustang Owners Club of Southeastern Michigan or Moxum, one of the largest and most active Mustang clubs on the continent. Plus, who also heads up Boxum for you Bronco owners, as well as being the new leader behind the International Council of Mustang Clubs. Of course, I could only be talking about Mike Ray. Mike, tonight we've got one of our true Mustang heroes at Ford and someone you and I recently and finally were able to spend some time with
1: during our SVT33 union. How great was that? You know, John, um, if anybody's listened to our past podcast, um, I told you there were three icons, legends in the Ford Mustang world that I've always wanted to meet. Bill Ford is still one of them. I've <laughs> talked to him. I've emailed him, but I've never met Bill in person. Sadly, Carroll Shelby has left us. But uh, most importantly to me was Mr. John Coletti, who we have on with us tonight. Absolutely.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome my former boss at Ford SVT, John Coletti. John, thank you so much for joining us tonight on the Mustang Owners Podcast.
2: It was my pleasure, guys. And, uh, Mike, you're much too kind.
1: <laughs> you are, John, one of the – I mean – Ask, ask Mr. Clore here. For years and years and years, we wanted to get you and what you accomplished there, and put out the greatest cars in Ford's history, in my personal opinion. Well, John, that's what we want to talk about a little bit tonight. You know, uh, uh,
0: there, there, a lot of people have touched Mustang over what 59 years now, but uh, and people on other podcasts have talked about your work on SN95, and uh, a lot of people don't know. When I say John Clutty, they just think uh, Ford's SVT. But a lot of people don't know that uh, really the uh, the thing that led up to all that was that SN ninety five group and I think John correct me if I'm wrong it was probably just as tight knit and probably just as concentrated as your work after you got SVT that that whole skunk works you guys pulled off to get us the ninety four Mustang. No,
2: it was uh, it was quite an effort. That was. Uh... That was a scary time, actually, because I could not believe the company was seriously thinking about uh, killing the current box body and the Mustang name and replacing it with a probe. I remember walking into the uh, design center with Ken Dabrowski, who was my executive director at the time, and looking at this thing. And he said, John, what do you think of that? It had a GT on the side. I said, well, what is it? He said, well, it's the new Mustang. I said, yeah, that thing may be a lot of things, but a Mustang, it ain't.
0: oh no yeah that's got to be culture shock especially for you you know john you know growing up uh seeing muscle cars on the east side you were you know one of those guys that just knew mustang was meant to be for the street and it was american as hell and if it didn't have a v8 then you know you weren't fond of it i could tell when i drove my mustang 2 to to svt one day and boy did the guys give me a lot of crap but that was a 302 i wanted you to know <laughs> just but no john at, a, at, at 130
2: horsepower it was well
0: a... yeah but you know it had great <laughs> torque at 1800 rpm it's, and everything that was wrong with it could be fixed in the ford racing catalog you know that was hey the by the way
2: by the way john i always told you i had a 1970 i, I believe it was a 77 what? cobra Mustang two Cobra. So I think that was the first year they put the five liter back in. That's
0: right. What the heck yeah, how about I that? Had... I'm vindicated. I'm vindicated. Don't feel too bad. Okay, good. So, so, so how did you get that job? I mean, wh- who tagged you to say, look, uh, we're gonna have to, let's try before we, you know, christen this Mazda as a Mustang. Let's try one more time to see if we can make a Mustang out of something. Who gave you that job?
2: Well, I used to work for a gentleman. His name was Ken DeBrosky. I, I, I owe a lot of credit to him. He was my executive director. He uh, brought me over to be the manager of the Mustang Design uh, Engineering Group. Mm-hmm. And we had three cars under our belt, the Escort, the Temple Topaz, and the old Fox Body. And they were all Sunset cars. You know what Sunset means?
0: Oh, yeah.
2: we were, destined yeah. For the- they were all Sunset cars. So he said, John, don't feel too bad. These are Sunset models. But, when, you know, okay. I said, all right. I mean, I just wanted to get into the vehicle office at the time, so I was happy with that. Anyhow, it turns out that we had a gentleman that came over from uh, Scotland. His name was Alex Trotman, Mm -hmm. and he became the new uh, executive vice president over there at Ford. And he came over, and somebody told him that they were thinking about canceling the Mustang. And Ken happened to be in a meeting. It was an executive-level meeting. And uh, he said, well, I don't, you know, here's a Scotsman. I mean, all the Americans had already uh, decided, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the right thing to do. But the Scotsman decided, no, we, Mustang is legendary. We can't get rid of it. can we take another shot at it? So he he asked Ken, he says, Ken, this is your car. Right. He said, can't you, can't you put together a group to take a fresh eyes look at it? And the real problem they had, and it was very simple, okay. the car they wanted to do, they couldn't afford. And the car they could afford, they didn't want to do. <laughs> that was the problem okay and that's a, that's a major dilemma because we're talking billion dollar deals here, right? Yeah. yeah, so anyhow, Ken one day comes back to the office and he calls me into his office and he says, "John, we got Troman, he says he wants to take a fresh eyes look at this thing you know, and like, and, I, and he starts laying this out for me, and he says, "You want to take a shot at it?" I, I didn't say anything, and as you know me, John, I like to talk, and I was actually quiet for a while when he asked me. He said, well, do you want to do it or not? And the reason I was quiet was I could not believe that the company was giving me a shot at the Mustang, the new Mustang. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. He said, do you want it or not? I said, absolutely, I want it. I mean, what's the worst thing I could do, John? Fail? Right, that's true. Yeah, I mean, that was the worst thing. So I said, what the hell? Why not? I'll take a shot at it. And we created this little skunkworks. It was uh, nine guys one for each one of the major disciplines. We used to meet in my office every night at, uh, on Tuesdays after work around 530, and we'd work on it, and that's what, and that's what started the whole project.
0: Wow. So really, you, your goal was to say what, to come up with a plan, actually, to put together some type of proposal. Were you given hard numbers
2: on a budget, John? No, there were, no, no. He asked me what can we do as a fresh sized approach. So here's what happened. We set our, we set our, now in those days to do a new car program, when, when I talk a new car program, we're talking about a new platform, meet all the regulatory requirements right. and a new fresh design. It was usually around 900 million to a billion dollars to do a new car program. That's, that's what the going rate was. Wow. So I told our guys, our skunkworks team, we wanted to see if we could do it for 300 million and 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 the the key to it was trying to salvage as much of the fox body as we could okay and we worked on it worked on it worked on it and when we had a report back the trotman and the executive group i told them we met we had five objectives you know one can we redesign the car to to meet all the new regulatory requirements yes can we meet a car that's going to be fit in with the mustang um requirements of being a four-passenger, sporty, four, you know, uh, V8-powered, rear-wheel drive car, like the original car. We really yeah. wanted to continue the lineage of the original car. So we went through all four. We said we can meet all four of the top requirements, which had to do with objective requirements on the car. But when he got to the financials, we said, Mr. Trotman, we failed on the fifth one. Hmm. He said, what do you mean you failed? I said, well, the best we can do is around $530 million, 550. It looks like we can't get to the $300 million. So I figured that the program was dead. <laughs> Trotman looked at us. He looked at the rest of the executive group. He says, we'll take it. Wow. That was what happened. Wow. So we brought the program in for about half of what a normal card does. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, we salvaged a lot, of, we salvaged Dearborn assembly. We salvaged a lot of the uh box body uh parts, but we gave it a new fresh uh sheet metal on the exterior. We met all the new regulatory requirements, and it was uh as far as I'm concerned, it was a success. And by the way, by the way, Mustang sales were down into seventy-five thousand units a year in ninety-two, ninety-three. When we launched the Mustang, uh, the, uh, the new uh, SN95, we were, uh, we, we started out at 110,000, then we went, then, we, then the executives leaned on me, Bob Rui and Trotman, we got it up to 120, then we finally signed up with, for 140. And the car actually did sell around 140,000. Oh yeah. So the car, the car was well received and we were happy.
0: Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Yeah, it it was, and John, more than just you know the fact that you got that programming, you, you didn't just save the Mustang, you saved the hobby because, uh, you, you know the following nobody had to tell you. Heck, you were driving around with what you? I know you had a, didn't you have a Hemi Fury uh, at one time? I was, no, yeah, that I,
2: was a, I never drove it on the street. It was a, it was a race car, strictly a race car. But
0: didn't you have? But you did drive your AMX on the street, right? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. I that I, to, <laughs> that I used to.
2: do a lot of. You weren't a great, you were a
0: Gratiot Avenue guy like me, were you?
2: Well, Gratiot was my uh, my main thoroughfare, but we used to. Oh, go there to you the go. Yeah, <laughs> we used to go to Woodward maybe once every weekend, once once a week we'd go there, and once a month we'd end up on Telegraph too. Oh yeah,
0: uh, the, you you did all through the the three magical routes, but the hobby was more important. And John, it's the way Mike. I got to tell you this: the way that the the hobby responded the SN95, and Mike, as being a president of one of the largest clubs in the continent, you you got to see the how the value. And it wasn't just the car.
1: It was the fact that the whole Mustang world could come along with it, you and your club as well. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, John, we're missing one major point here. So the 94 Mustang, right? The, the whole new car, um, that accomplished a very huge feat that me and you are personally close with and have represented. And it won the Motor Trend Car of the Year Award. Well, that's right.
2: That's right. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, That's right, that, it did. That, that, that was that was like uh, icing on the cake, right?
1: And, oh, you yeah. know, John, we actually uh, know where that actual award, um, uh, Mike Berardi, I don't know if you know who Mike is, but he actually has that personal exact award in his private collection uh, over here in Taylor, Michigan. And when we uh, introduced Emmeline King back to the world when she wrote her book, we brought that award out to surprise her because she was part of the um, team on that. And uh, it's just really, really special that Ford was getting rid of that award somehow. But um, Mike Berardi saved it, and it's actually – its we have it.
2: Well, yeah. God bless him for doing that, I'll tell you. And by the yeah. way, Emily, Emily was one of the real nice people on the program, by the way. Yeah, we, we enjoyed did, her. Did and, the and interior t- on the car. Yeah, yeah. And
0: so was Bud McGaldi. I mean, it's amazing oh, how Magaldi. he – I, I just
2: ran into McGaldi last Thursday, and I couldn't believe it. I said, Bud, I've been – it's been 20 years since well 20. It's been 25 years since I saw McGalvey, and I said God bless you. He's still he's still kicking. I the fact that we're still above ground is good. <laughs> yeah,
1: Bud was very happy to see you. He uh, he couldn't say enough good things when uh, at the Hall of Fame when he came by and said that and
2: he was very very excited to see you, John. Yeah, I, w- I was happy to see him too. He was he's one of the real gentlemen in the company. I'll tell you.
0: Well, and, and he didn't get a lot of. Uh uh credit uh you know the book uh, that um, that came out John that was great but uh that car came so quickly and people really they just saw a lot of the old style back in it you know the protruding grill the setback headlamps the the side scoop was back and you know we gave bud some i maybe not me but the club mike your club gave bud a little bit of grief about the 3 uh, horizontal tail lamps in the '94 Mustang instead the three vertical, <laughs> but Bud got yeah, up I, there.
2: I I, and up I I remember. By the way, guys, I remember arguing that point that I wanted three vertical tail lights and I wanted three vertical tail lights. And the guys, we went round and round with the design center. And I'll tell you, I finally just capitulated. I got everything else I wanted, so I said, "You know, John,
1: was that because of the lines in the car? Is that why they were? They said that."
0: Bud told uh, John Colletti. You can tell us if this is right. He told us. That if you look at the top body line on the SN95, the reason he did that, the top of the first of the three horizontal taillights lines up, and he said it was it was more an aligning thing than he, he thought it would be an abrupt change with the three verticals, and he stuck to his guns. But you know, John, you you were actually right because the hobby—that's the one thing they didn't like about the car.
2: Well, you know what? I mean, you got to pick your battles. You know, if 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 I'm getting, listen, guys. We were able to get the car program approved. We were able to get most of the stuff. I mean, yeah. I had people, the manufacturing guys didn't want to put the scoop on the side of the car. They thought that was too difficult. I had, I had people arguing about everything. So at the end of the day, <laughs> you got to pick your battles. Yeah. I said, we've got three tail lights. Okay, guys, we'll go with it. But, you know, what was it, 96? They, they, yeah. they, they put a yeah. the protocol again. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, at the end of the day, McGalvey fought for that. And you know what? How many fights do you want to fight? You want to go ahead and lose the war, or do you want to, you know, if you try to win every battle sometimes, you lose the war. I wanted to yeah. win the war. I gave up the battle. End of story. Well,
0: But what a great job. And, you know, my son owns one. Everybody owns one. Today, John, the S95 Mustang. And, Mike, you can kind of verify this. So for young people coming into the hobby, it's the most cost-effective Mustang to buy. They've got American muscle with all kinds of parts. Uh, it's it's like the way in to get into the Mustang world when you're a young person and can't afford it. A- and, and, and you know,
2: John, we, we fought very hard to keep the uh, the five liter in the original car. Because remember, the modular engine was kicking around at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we and we said, you know what? The, the, the hobby really needs to keep the five liter. For us, because you remember, we went from the Fox body. When you make a major change from the Fox body to the SN95, which uh, was a big departure in terms of styling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know it's a softer look than the than the fox body but it had all the design cues in it and i said we've got to maintain the five liter because the performance you know all the think about all the SEMA parts all the parts that are out there and we said you know if we carry through the five liter for a couple of years it'll be a nice transition into the new body style and it worked out nice because in 96 when they introduced the modular it was okay because the first couple of years, you know, the five liter, the five liter uh, made for a nice transition.
0: Yeah, they still had their parts. They, you know, they still they had the have their
2: racing catalog, right? Exactly. You, you could still go in and do everything you were doing that a Fox body you could do on the SN95, right? And then
0: Zvelink, uh, I remember him. I remember asking him about the mod motor, and there was a lot of fear about that mod motor. You know, John, remember, uh, you know, when we. Came out, you know, this wasn't something that was, you know, how many years did they beat on a five liter? You can, those things were so well known in the racing hobby. Everybody on the street could make a five liter run. And that must have been tough. I mean, (laughs) to make that decision, but the company was going modular. So what are you going to do? Like you said,
2: pick pick your battles, right? (laughs) Yeah, you got to pick your battles and it was okay. And then, you know, we had to come back in what, 03 and solve the modular problem. Remember, Remember what we did in 03? Oh gosh, yeah. If you the know, engine wouldn't I, suck, we had a blow on it, right?
0: Yeah, and uh, that's right. And you, <laughs> yeah, Mike, wants to talk about that too, because you know once you, John, when you came to an SVT, um, I, you know, a lot of people were really pleased because they knew of your role in SN95, but SVT was such a weird experiment. You know, when Jim Sawyer tried to get me to leave Auto Week to come to SVT, and he told me, "Well, here's the one caveat: it's got zero advertising dollars." And I said, what? Because, yeah, it's just, well, how are you going to, how, I don't care how good you make the cars, how is everyone going to know about it? He goes, well, through the enthusiasts. And you were, you know, tied to that whole enthusiast world. And the fact that you started this this niche group that that was completely different than SVO, because it's actually had marketing behind it now. And you had two vice presidents, uh, both uh, the late Bob Brewey and Neil Ressler, Behind you, that that was a challenge, John. I think that may have been as big a challenge as doing an SN95.
2: Well, it was uh, when I first showed up at S. It it, it was special vehicle engineering when I showed up in uh, January '94. Some of the projects they had going on were oh my god, they were (laughs) awesome. You know, let me give you an example. One of the projects was on the mark uh, on the mark. Lincoln wanted gold plate uh, replace all the chrome on the car with gold plating. That was an SVE project. What? I, I I threw that out right away. I said we're not doing this. This is nonsense. So anyhow, getting back to let me get back to the two guys, Rui okay. and Wrestler. Neil, Neil Rustler was the uh, vice president of, uh, of car product development, and Rui was at uh, uh, sales and marketing. Right. And Rui told, and those are the two, those were our two our two angels in the uh, executive ranks and they provided us air cover and I reported directly to a wrestler and Mm wrestler gave me a very, very simple. And and it was mentioned uh, Thursday, as you recall, Uh, he gave me a very, very simple uh, set of marching orders. Don't embarrass me. I said, all right, (laughs) that means I can do, I can do it. What needs to be done in my mind, right? What I thought was right. And, you know, the first car we did, as you recall, John, the first car we put in production, what was it? The 95 Cobra R? Yeah. We that broke all the rules me. on that. We broke
0: that them. broke a million. Yeah, John. I
2: I, I I thought for sure I was going to get fired on that one for sure.
0: Well, I remember a couple of problems. I remember you guys go to Dearborn Assembly and the, the fiberglass hoods under the baking would melt. And I go, how are we going to solve that? And you did that. But then how did you get the engine? engines built when they didn't want you to come into the plant with didn't you pull hey, off a
2: fast one the, the engine the engine is my favorite story okay yeah the engine is my i walk one we were still making 351s over at windsor engine so one day i show up in the uh in uh, the windsor uh engine plant manager his name was Cy Ducharme. wonderful guy so i show up in his office and i tell him si here's what i'm thinking about doing i need i need about 250 engines built and I need them, you know, because we went ahead, we went through the uh, performance catalog at the time and we just were putting on all the right parts, you know, camshafts, heads, and all that stuff, you know. Right, right. But we built the engine. We never ran one, by the way. We just knew it was going to work because of the experience everybody had with aftermarket parts, right? Yeah, small block Fords, right? Yeah, small block Fords. So I said, you know, I said, Sai, here's what we want to build. He said to me, he says, Yeah, we could do that. He says, uh, when are you going to give me authorization? I said, well, there ain't going to be any authorization. I'm just telling you, I need the engines built. He says, when do you want them built? I says, in about two weeks. He looked at me and he says, you're crazy. I says, that may be true, but I said, I still need the engines in about two weeks. And you know what he did to his his credit? Side to charm, he said to me, he said, John, you may be crazy, but you know what? Here's what I'll do. We have a warehouse about two weeks, two blocks east of uh, the Windsor engine plant. Okay. He said, if you can assemble all the parts, and I mean all the parts, John, I don't mean anything missing. Right. We'll build the engines for you. He was willing to break rules too. I wow. said, okay, we'll do that. Steve Anderson, by the way, as you remember, John, he was my program manager on it. I said, we, we work with Roush in the, uh, in our team and we filled that plant with all the parts so on the wednesday two weeks hence on the wednesday i, I took steve and i and went over to windsor to go look at all the parts in the warehouse we show up at the warehouse and here's a guard out front right and i said uh i said we want to look at the parts he says there's nothing here for you to see i said what do you mean there's nothing here for us to see i said steve i thought you you put everything here he said we did he said, oh, no, 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 the, the engine plant came over this morning and took all of the parts over to the engine plant. Oh. They did. So we went over to the engine plant. And sure enough, they had them all, all the parts were behind cribs, and they had eight and a half by 11 sheets of white paper. You uh-huh. know, all it had on it was, it wasn't computerized. It just said somebody hand wrote race car parts, right? Okay, okay yeah. <laughs> and that goes was in the crib. And that was on the Wednesday, right? So I knew the parts were there. So I went and saw Sai. He says, "Well, John, we're gonna we're planning to assemble them on Friday. Why don't you be here and we'll we'll make sure, we'll make sure you're part of the program." So at noon on Friday, we show up. We were too late. What the plant? The plant started at I guess six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning, and within two hours, they built all two hundred and fifty engines. They had
1: no way.
2: <laughs> yeah, they had all the engines built and everything else, and they uh, had they had the Windsor. You remember. Uh, channel nine the uh, canadian uh, broadcasting, yeah. Channel. yeah you know yeah they had local television there we're building race car parts and all that. and they made they made a big hoopla out of the whole thing and it was a lot of fun for everybody and i missed the whole build of the engines so i go see si at around one o'clock in the afternoon he finally showed up i said si i thought you were going to build them in the afternoon yeah we done it early he says now you got to get the damn things out of here i can't have these laying around i said <laughs>
0: And that's how They're sitting happened. in the plant, yeah.
2: <laughs> then, I, then I, I got the Roush guys to take all their trucks over there, and pull all the engines out so the side didn't get in trouble.
1: That was a wonderful, oh my wonderful gosh. experience.
2: Wonderful experience. We did. Well, Mike, the, kind of I, don't, I don't. kind of you, nonsense went on with the assembly plant too, but you know that's another story.
0: Well, that But Mike, did you know? I mean, John. Didn't want to mess you know the 93r was great but john got so much feedback from racers you know you're dealing with a a 350 chevy and you're losing 50 cubes to them with our 302 and and then you know i remember john all that work uh that the anderson did on the fuel cell to get more fuel in it and then you guys did uh you know with that 351 i don't know how i mean just putting parts together and putting it in there how that's the first time a 351 ever got back in a Mustang since 20, the, the 20 horse. years.
2: It's been 20 years since the, the, the last time uh 351 was in a Mustang, I think, it was 1975, 70s. It was in the 70s. 73, yeah. 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 That was it was a long time. Yeah, a
1: big horse car, yeah. Big, yeah. So Mike, can
0: you imagine uh, you know, we, at my first program that's this this car with this this insane 351 in it, you know, back, no back seat. I remember uh John, you should know that. Uh, the mca didn't know what to do with this when it came into the first judging people would bring him in still in wrappers and they go well uh, you you better take this back you're you're missing the back seat no it came that way you know no it came from the factory without an area no but but john that leads us to another thing so um the r's you know the racing part uh there's there's this great story about you um you know and uh, we we'd made that transition to the mod motor car you know, it made 300 horsepower, and it was a different kind of horsepower for all of us. Uh, it, you know, it, it made it differently than a, than a small block Ford. Um, but you guys started working on it. But eventually, you just knew you had to do more when we got into the 99 Cobra, they they weren't making power when mainstream engineering thought they had it and you got the engine back. But the rumor was john on a Western or maybe it was a prove out drive. That whole thing that started the book about you iron fist led foot about you weren't gonna approve the program for the car because you thought it was a dog. Is is that a fallacy? Is that a was that a true story?
2: No, absolutely, it was true. What happened was, uh, uh, as you well know, the two thousand they built the Cobra through two thousand one. There was no two thousand two Cobra. Right. Bob Rui called me in his office. He said, Coletti, you now have the Cobra because up until that time we didn't have the Cobra. Mainstream Mustang was doing the Cobras." Right. I said, okay. I says, uh, we'll give it a shot. I said, all I can do is give it a shot. I said, you know, I can't guarantee anything. So the first car we put together, because the marketing guys were really, really, really pushing us on price. You know, they're right. trying to hold the line on price. And we did a naturally aspirated prototype. And that's the one you hear about. And okay. we took that on our, our Western Drive. Every year we would have our Western Drive in August in, uh, in Death Valley. we go out there to evaluate the cars. And I still remember I was driving the car. I told Andy Slankard, who had the SBT Focus, right. I told him we were we just left Badwater, which is uh, the lowest spot in North America, by the way, 212 feet, I think, below sea level. And we were headed south back to uh, towards I-15 in Death Valley. I said, Andy, I want you to pull up alongside of me. We're going to do a second gear roll. Okay so i'm in the cobra prototype he's in the SBT focus we did a second gear roll and when the SBT focus pulled away from me i went oh, my god. oh my god and yes, oh. and yes and yes that was the true story i said we're not approving this car this car, this car this car is not a cobra it's barely a, it's not even a garter snake and then that's when i walked <laughs> shoshone is where they have a uh gas station down there yeah the little the little store yeah yeah, with a little story. I walked in there. It was a six-pack pa- six of Alpo I saw in the back there. I bought the Alpo. I put it in the backseat of the car. I said, that thing's a dog. And that's how it <laughs> moved. No, we're weren't you afraid program. to
0: kill the program,
2: I, I, John? What, yeah, I afraid said, well, wasn't it wasn't in 2002, so the car, the car, there was no Cobra on the, on, on the market. I was just going to go tell Rui we're not going to be able to do the 2003 either. I, I said, I'm not approving it. We can't do it. So then the guys wow. got me under that uh, there's a little uh, kind of a, a picnic table. It's made out of cement, you know. Yeah. Uh, we, and they, we all got around on oh, my team, Bill Lane, Tom Bohannock, and all the guys. Oh god, yeah, the guys. and we started and we started we started kicking it around and stuff. And it says, Well, listen, why don't we just you know, we already had the lightning experience under our belt. We knew the you know, we knew how to do bowlers, right? Yep. So why don't we supercharge it? I said, You think we can actually do it? I mean, we were talking, we were only like 15, 16 months from job one at that point. That's right. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, the timing was getting very, very, very tight. And so uh, I said, if you guys think you can supercharge it, let's give it a go. Because this naturally aspirated version ain't going to make it. We're not, we're not approving that. So the guys yeah. started working on the supercharged version. And then we started blowing up engines and dynamometer. That was the other problem. Because once you start putting all that power in, the engine couldn't take it. And that's the manly that's where the manly rods came in right we blew up nine yeah, exactly. engines and die so finally we got the manly uh h-beam rods in and that's that was the problem the the rods were coming apart yep so we Boy, got John. the h-beam rods in oh. put that in there we went from not understand guys in the ford motor company not only did we put all the money in the blower system I think the rods on a typical mod motor at the time were costing for about a buck and a half a rod. (laughs) Right. And the manly rods were $55 a rod. So we go go from like an $18 set of rods to almost a $500 set of rods. That didn't go over well with the finance guys. But I I told Rui and the guys, I said, the engine won't work without them. Right. And they said, do it. I, I mean, that's the kind of good support we were getting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you didn't get pushback from the upper management.
2: Yeah. No, they said if that's what it takes to do the job. And, of right. course, you know, the rest is history. With those right. rods and that engine, and, and we all we also dumped the uh, aluminum block because the right. aluminum block was was weaker than the cast iron block we put in the Terminator, which was on the two-valve engine. Right. So we did that, and, you know, the rest is history. I think people today are – and then, and then the other great story about the Terminator was we had not had a chance to run the engine on dyno to get an actual horsepower rating. Right. Well, so when the marketing guys, as you recall, you were part of them. <laughs> I was
0: in that, that you meeting. Push,
2: you, you guys were pushing me for what's the, what's the horsepower rating? Well, I got to tell you, I wanted 400 more than I could. More, I mean, I really wanted 400 horsepower, but you know what? I, I finally said to myself, you know what? I don't have any numbers. Okay. I don't have the engine actually dyno yet. I said, use three ninety three ninety. So that was the numbers that went out on, on the car.
0: Yep, that's okay. one of you.
2: Yeah, three ninety three ninety, and I just pulled it out of my, you know, my rear. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, the marketing guys needed numbers. I didn't have numbers. What are you going to want me to do? I wanted right. 400. I I really did want 400. But I said if I do 400 and it doesn't make 400, then I'm going to be embarrassed. And I didn't want to do that, but the Mustang fans because they already went through the 2000, you know, the 99, right. 2000, you know, experience. Right, I did not right. do that.
0: No apologies from oh, John Colletti. <laughs> no.
2: Yeah, I was. I, I figured I'd better. I I better under promise and over deliver versus the other way, right? Right. So anyhow, anyhow, yeah. I started, once the car was launched. I started getting all these reports from guys, and I went to, I used to go to Mustang Club events and uh, press events and stuff like that. And you guys, the Mustangers, are all putting their their cars on their dynos, right? Yeah. Gas your dinos. and they're telling me I'm getting 406 at the rear wheels. How's that possible, Mister Colotti? <laughs> you know what the You know what the standard line I would use? I no. Say, the magic trick. It's man, If I got 390 at the flywheel and I'm getting 406 at the rear wheels, what's going on? I used to say, <laughs> It's the magic training fluid we got. <laughs> and you oh, know, uh, anybody was anybody actually going to complain about getting more than they expected?
0: No, that's that's the beauty of that car. And you know, yeah, uh, was, a lot of people. I, I had to write a column after I left uh, SVT and about the greatest Cobras of all time. And this is after the Shelby came out with you know, 500 horsepower. And I picked the Terminator because the Terminator is what took Mustang across the Grand Canyon into the supercharged world of high performance and the terminator made that leap and then you overdelivered delivered on the power john and then that changed mustang forever now there's no going back you know i mean
2: no the only, yeah my only reg- my only my only regret with that program is is that i really want you know it, the reason they uh bohanic picked the word uh terminator as the code name for the program was we that was to us, that was the equivalent of launching nuclear war against the F-body Chevys. Yep, and we were going to kill them with that car. And what did the bastards do in 2003?
0: They went away.
2: Yep, they went I away. Literally, just didn't get Yeah, John, can you imagine? We're ready for nuclear war, and they, yeah. and they just and they just walk away from the war. They're ever, gone. You know? That car goes away. I'm thinking of myself, that was the only that was the only regret I had. I said we did, we were not able to deliver the final blow to the Camaro, <laughs> but it really
1: did terminate them, right? It did. Yeah. Well, that was
2: that was what the guys called it. I, I always let the teams come up with their own code names, and Terminator is what we all wanted to do. We were going to ter- turn. We were going to end this war once and for all. <laughs> well,
0: Mike, isn't your favorite all time SVT moment was when at the Chicago Auto Show
1: when? Uh... My, yes, absolutely. My. My favorite, favorite moment of all time. And I've told Mr. Scarpello this a lot of times. Um, John, I, I've got a, I've had a great um, experience to work with Tom. Um, when I was at Roush, um, when he was starting Revology and putting the Roush crate motors in there, um, we used to have them in our booth. And so I got kind of close to Tom there and Barry jacksons booth was always next to ours. So I got to talk to him a lot about a lot of the the old memories and the SVT days. And But still, my all-time favorite moment is the picture of you guys just walking through the smoke at, at that auto show. And um, you guys got, I, I've heard the story, John's heard the story, but maybe our fans haven't. So walk us through that really quick for the, that, that moment at Chicago. Auto yeah, Show. Wh-
0: whose idea was it to do that on now,
2: stage? I Chicago? Yeah. I listen, listen, I, I was involved in a lot of events and people were coming up with ideas that I had no idea what was going on. And in this case here, we were going to go, I was going to, I was going to make, uh, um, uh, I think John, uh, what the hell, uh, the vice president's saying, help me out here, John, John uh, uh, Jim O'Connell, Jim O'Connell, excuse me. Yep. Jim O'Connell was going to introduce us and we were going to yep. bring the Terminator into the, uh, into the stage, right? Tom Scarpello was driving. I was riding shotgun and I was supposed to make the, uh, you know, the, you know, deliver the, the comments on the car. Okay. And I had no idea what Scarpello had up to sleep. I mean, We're inside. The hall, right? Under the under under the uh under the bleachers, right? Hidden away from everybody. And all I know is Carpello lights his car up, sidesteps the clutch, and he does he goes rolling towards Jim O'Connor, towards the (laughs) stage, with the wheels lit up, and I I'm thinking to myself. This ain't gonna work out well. This is this <laughs> not gonna work out well. I mean, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you put. Oh like, God, yeah. In. A lot of things that can go wrong. Trust me, guys. Anyhow, Tom did a Tom did a spectacular job. He, he created all kinds of smoke, kept the car under control. All I remember, I got out of the car, and if, if you saw the, if you saw my pictures of me, I'm just waving all the smoke away, just trying to clear the air, so I could be <laughs> wearing it all the stage. it was a lot of fun, though.
0: Well, Mike Ray's favorite SVT moment when he uh, he was working with me on putting together the reunion, he said, "Whatever we do to sit down with that panel at the Hall of Fame, John, you, you got to come up with some kind of video of Scarpello and Coletti doing that burnout at Chicago." And then I found that that video you made with SVT away, and the rest, as you say, is history. And I don't know if wrestler knew that you did that because
1: <laughs> you know John. Just- I, i've been looking for the long version of that it used to be on youtube and i do not see it anymore it's a very quick clip and it's not great but that image which i wish marcy would actually had at the svt reunion was of them walking out through the fog you know like through the, the burnout <laughs> um that yeah. would have been such an amazing picture to get signed right there oh uh, john that was uh, that was really great
2: yeah no that was uh uh, it wasn't fog, by the way, Mike. It was <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was it's rubber. So yeah. <laughs> it was rubber. It was smoky, smelly rubber. Trust me. I mean, they do. No. It like
0: Jim O'Connor, Ford Division President, and Rui. Uh, uh, I bet you probably got a kick out of it. But wrestler, I don't know if he knew he was watching that video when we did the reunion, Jonathan the Hall of Fame. And like he had a big grin on his face. As I, he probably knew that you guys did that. But w- w- well, wasn't a great CD- you know, scene.
2: Wrestler, 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 just. As long as we didn't remember, remember his marching orders to me when I first took the job. Don't embarrass me. Did as they ever say anything worked, to you, John, after it, that, after that burnout? Did anybody say anything? No, as long as everything, nobody got hurt. Nothing happened wrong. It was a great intro. I mean, can you make a better introduction than what Scarpell did to that burnout? Nobody's I done can't. it since. Nobody. But did they? did they compliment you guys on it? no he didn't compliment but nothing went wrong so guess what no harm no foul right there you (laughs) go nobody got (laughs) fired right (laughs) but you know a lot of
0: people don't know of all the other great cars and trucks that we did you know that's why mike grade worked so hard to get so many of those prototypes there we had the uh the v8 ranger there we had the lightning bolt ranger there we had the original contour one of the early prototypes you know the the, these early car the six one cjr which you john got onto the cover of uh Motor Trend, the Double Zero uh, Cobra R car prototype, all, all those uh, prototypes showed up there because we wanted to show the world that you know those guys, those your team worked so hard to put that together. But then there was the cars that we did put together, John, that we weren't able to get uh, produced, and uh, some of my favorites were your MN12 Thunderbird Cobra Part Thunderbird, um, which wound up on the back of your door as a dead project. Was that it a car – what it happened was, to that? It was
2: the graveyard. Remember the graveyard, John? Yeah, the
0: big graveyard, all the dead projects. But, John, when yeah. we drove it, th- that Cobra-powered MN12 was a great car. Was it because it was a, a sunset car?
2: Yeah, no, it, that was the problem with that car. It was a sunset car. I actually took the car on the 97 uh, Hot Rod Power Tour. I drove oh, that wow. car from uh, Las Vegas. That, I had four prototypes on that trip. On the, uh, I had the, the Ranger I took from LA to Vegas, from Vegas to, uh, Colorado. I used the, uh, the Thunderbird. And then from, uh, uh, Western part of Colorado to Denver, I used the, uh, Cobra R, the 95 Cobra R. Mm -hmm. I talk about some great cars, but that Thunderbird. Listen, I left, I left Vegas five hours after the lead car. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we didn't we hadn't put a new speedometer in it. We only had a hundred twenty mile an hour speedometer. <laughs> one. Yeah. So uh my wife said my wife was with me and she says, John, how fast are you going? I said, I have no idea. Let me try to figure it out. So, you know, doing some RPM with the tachometer and that. And I said, well, I don't know, about 135, 140. Anyhow, I ended up getting to uh, what is it? Fort uh Grand Junction, Colorado. Yeah, Grand up, Junction, 20, yep. Grand Junction. I got the grand jump. I left five hours after they left Vegas, the the power tour, and I was only a half hour behind the leader when I got the the grand jump. <laughs> so I made up a lot of time on the road. What a great car! Man.
0: That was a great. It was beautiful, and you know, I was so disappointed when we got the smooth,
2: powerful. You know, those every time you came to one of those long grades with that supercharger. Yeah. Just ate them right up. It just oh, God. ate up grades like nobody's business.
0: Another one of my favorites was Al Islap's put together a ZX two with yeah. a uh, uh, we went out to Hell, Michigan, and we got uh, car and driver, road and track, and we took them on that little hell route. And that car was so wicked fast. I know Al was real proud of it. He called it did he call the
2: ZXR or something? Uh,
0: ZX two. Some- it was
2: a ZX two uh we called it the turbo coupe, but it was a ZX two model.
0: It was so fast and then we were worried Tim Boyd, I remember saying, If this is too fast, this is Cobra fast, and at twenty thousand dollars where we're thinking of pricing it, he goes, that that'll no, we don't want it. And I thought, how could you not want that? Was but was, wasn't the escort also a uh the ZX2 was only had another two years after that. That was the problem again. I mean, here oh. you're
2: introducing a new halo car, right, in the lineup, and it's only got a one or two year life of uh, lifespan on it. That's what killed oh. that car. Then, then, then you don't the, with the one you don't remember, John, is every every year during um, uh, when they would have the uh, Grand Prix in Detroit, mm-hmm. all Newman as part of the Newman Haas Racing team uh, would come to town. And the wrestler would always invite him to our test track, and he always wanted to test our cars, Newman. So I, I, this happened about three, four years in a row, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Paul Newman, right? Sure. Okay. So he he made the statement or the request. He said, "Why don't you guys do a sleeper wagon?" Okay. So we ended up putting a show motor in a tourist show wagon. Oh yes. And, yeah, remember that? Remember what the code name? Remember what the code name for that one was?
0: Jim Sawyer drove that he said
2: uh yeah here let me give you the code name Gumby <laughs> we called that one Gumby but again that one ran up against the same problem by the time we were ready to put you put the program together and launch it the life was gone
0: yeah you guys stuffed some big wheels and Jim was saying they were having some hard to get those tires from hitting the fender I mean you stuffed big meats and that thing that that what a, and then another big sleeper you guys did is everyone will ask me about it, John, is the thunder. You did the lightning, but when you took yeah. that expedition and you put an all lightning powertrain, it was black, I believe. Mine I mean you guys always would go together when you when you get five or six guys, you want to go all together. You all piled in that thing and drove off. Hey,
2: We were in Mile and Driveway. remember it had three row seating? Yeah i told everybody in the team i said everybody get in because we knew the car we knew it would run into the it would run in the 12s and uh you know empty you know just a driver it was see if we could do it with a full team on board (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I, i took that one out the english town that time and that was when uh evan smith and jim camposano at muscle mustangs they took it down the track and they were I said you guys gotta produce this. I said, Yeah, well we'd like
0: to <laughs> it. Oh John, there yeah. were so many remember, remember what happened
2: on that? We were no, what building happened? that we were building that on the old chassis and the new uh and the new car was coming out with uh, remember independent rear and everything else. So yep. we just it on a lot of the programs they ended up in the graveyard because it was just it just wasn't their time. Yeah, they were good ideas.
1: But so here's my qu- here's my question. Um, John, if you could touch just for a second on and- The Cobra R, the Super Stallion, the Boss, those are all iconic ones. How did those come about? What was the thought process? You know, how
2: did you brainstorm those cars? Well, the Boss is easy. That was when I first took over uh, SBT in January of uh, 94. Uh, Mustang was having their 30th anniversary celebration at Charlotte Motor Speedway. You know, they were introducing the new SN95, and they were having a big, I mean, Bill Clinton himself, president of the United States, was coming yeah yep and he brought and he drove
1: a Mustang I believe
2: that's right he had his 60 I think a 67 green 67 he had in his own Mm -hmm. personal arsenal I think it was a 6 cylinder, but it doesn't matter (laughs) anyhow so I told the guys I said I want to do this car I want to do something special I just took over SV you know SVE at the time and I said I want to do something special and I bought and as you know John my favorite Mustang of all time is a 69 Boss 9 yep same here. Well, I said, hey, I, never, I was never able to own one when I was growing up in Detroit, but here's my chance. I said, you know what? Let's put a boss motor in the new Mustang. I said, here, hey, we're going to make the new, we're going to enter. Remember I was saying about the five liter? Yeah. Making it easy for the Mustangers to uh, to buy into the new car with the uh, five liter powertrain. I said, imagine if we put a boss motor in there. I said, oh, they're going to yeah. sit there and go gaga, right? So we put that, we, 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 uh, we, we commissioned Roush to do that program. And then, do you guys remember Larry Shinoda? Oh, absolutely! Oh, yeah, yeah. So I got Shinoda. I got Shinoda. I says, Larry, I saw he was uh, promoting these uh, graphics he was doing, right? And I said, you know, I like your graphics, Larry. I'd like to use them on this car. He said, well, that's great, John, because he was looking. You know, he was looking for that kind of an endorsement. Sure. But I don't. I'm not putting Shinoda on. Remember on his on his uh, graphics, it said "Boss by Shinoda" on the boss by Shinoda. Yep. Right, yeah. Yeah, I said, We're not putting by Shinoda on it. He said, John, you have to. I said, No, I don't. I said, Listen, you got a choice here. I said, we're gonna use your graphics, but we're not putting by Shinoda. Are you okay with that? He said, Well, I'd like to have Shinoda. Well, no, you're not getting it. I said, I'll tell you what I'll I'll tell you what I'll do. I told I told him, here's the deal I struck with Shinoda. I said, Larry, I'll tell you what, you're gonna be signing autographs on there. I tell you what, you can use the boss Mustang, you know, the uh the ten liter we did. I said you can use that, you know, as your uh, in your in your uh, in your area there where you're signing wow. autographs. That lineup, people, people. Yeah, that 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 lineup had to be, it had to be. It honestly, guy John, it had to be 300 foot long of people waiting in line to get pictures of of Larry with that car. Well, that he car was, was something. Than a, he was happier than a pig, and you know what? <laughs> well,
0: Mike Ray again, you know, let's let's. Let's call this one, Mike. Call him out. We, we got the actual Larry Shinoda boss. We found the uh, the guy, this farmer that Mike hooked up with, John Graffelman, found what he thought was weird, a weird prototype, and it turns out after doing research, it was Larry's actual car at Ford that he used his own personal fleet card to try out graphics on, try out a spoiler, and make his boss that he could show Bunky Nutson. And we, we found the car. And, Mike, I can't remember when you first dug it out. of. We showed it as a barn find. And then
1: um, Schneider- no, we showed it as a barn find for a few years. But at the 50th in 2014 is when we unveiled it to the world as completely restored. Yeah, but Larry was no longer
2: with us. But you know, right. to, yeah.
0: to have his car, John, he still had his uh, classic. By the, by,
2: the way, by the way, you know, when Larry passed, mm-hmm. I, went to his, I went to his funeral. So I'm sitting there paying my respects at the coffin, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, something caught my eye. So I stepped back a little bit. And, you know, Larry's family had the boss graphics put on his coffin. What? No way. Oh, Absolutely, guys. God. I stepped back, and I couldn't believe it. I looked back, and i it was a great coffin. I'll never forget. Uh-huh. I'm stepping back, and I'm thinking, this can't be. Son of a gun, the graphics were on. Awesome. and I asked the son, I says, I said, How'd you guys pull this off? Well, I'm sure Larry would want that going into yeah. <laughs> this <thinking, "Jesus."> world. Wow. <laughs> oh, I've wow. never heard that story in my
0: life. That's awesome. No, me either. That is awesome, John. Well, no, speaking no, of we awesome.
2: Were, I'm telling you, we were there, and you know who was with us at the time? Uh, what was his name? He used to be the old editor of Super Sock and Drag List. Jim uh Jim. Oh, yeah. Well you mean Jim in Smart? My, you know, in my Jim old in my old age, huh? Jim Smart? No, not Jim Smart. Anyhow, he was there with me and I, we couldn't believe it. But I thought you talk about cool in black graphics, you know, the uh the black oh, graphics around the coffin.
1: That's awesome. Now what track. about Super Stallion, John?
2: Okay, now the Super Stallion, uh that that car went through about four or five different iterations. Uh you remember Al Saddam, don't you? Uh yeah.
1: We both know him. Yeah. Yep. Al
2: Saddam, Al Saddam what a great guy. Al Sedan was the program manager on the uh on the lightning. He walked into my office one day and he said to me, He says, You know, Janet, he says, he said, I've been playing. He built he'd been playing with suspension systems because you know everybody was talking about IRS on the Mustang and stuff like that. but, you know, sure. the, we can never package it on the box body. Well, at home, he had he had come up with this. He we had some computer uh uh generated uh modeling that said here's what it should be but there was no way to package it then sudam comes up with this idea of doing a push pull rod system with the shocks inside the trunk yeah in other words we use pull rods push rods and i said he, he made a working wood model in his own basement imagine this this is the kind of guys we used to have on svt yeah. so he walks in he shows me this and, he, and i says you got to be kidding me so then we commissioned the Roush guys to actually build a working model based off his model. model. We put it, we put it in the back of a Mustang. And I thought to myself, well, that's great. But you know what? Having an IRS ain't gonna, ain't gonna do diddly for anybody. We gotta do something up front too, right? So then we went ahead and we did a four valve, five four supercharged. Oh, well, by the way, guys. Does that sound like the engine that went into the Ford GT? <laughs> 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 yeah, okay. you, you were testing 90, that out. This was 97, <laughs> way before we'd even thought about that. But just right. keep that in the back of your mind. So then we need, now, we, and now Nasser at the time said uh, he was coming to uh, Las Vegas in 97, our CEO. Because Nasser had bought into the notion of Ford wanted to be the leader in the aftermarket world. You know, in other words, he wanted to en- embrace the aftermarket world. Versus, you know, you know shutting them down and everything else, right? So yeah. he said, what are you going to have out there? I said, well, we got a car we can put together. So, so we took the car with the IRS system, the 544 valve, and then I called on Larry Shinoda again. I said, Larry, you guys may or may not know this. I said, because what did the boss and the, uh, the uh, supercell you have in common? They're bo- the graphics are both by Shinoda. I'll be damned. Oh, I yeah. did not know, well, you know that. I, I called, I called Shinoda, and I said, "Larry, I need some ideas on this car. What would you do?" So he came up with three ideas. One had a Spider-Man. I said, "I threw that out immediately. I, I didn't like that at all." <laughs> then he came up with this. Then he came up with this asymmetric paint scheme, which I said, "Well, that's interesting. I've never seen a car do that." I said, "Let's do that," and that's the Super Sony. Wow! So it was, oh. it was Shinoda Graphics. Yep. And what about that air scoop on the the window? We came over the IRS, and we just wanted to do a, a, you know, we we were playing with this motor all along, so we wanted to do a a really awesome 5.4. And the Super Stallion, you know, it was funny about I remember guys were telling me when we were talking about putting a a 5.4 supercharged engine in the GT, we had a whole group of people, engineers in the company, saying that'll never work. And I'm saying, never work. We've been flogging this car for four years already. (laughs) Well, that, that, brings, <laughs> that
0: brings us, John, to how did you get the nod? I mean, Camillo drew a, a, an absolute stunner. But how did you get the nod to actually put your team focused on building that Ford GT? That was a miracle.
2: Okay. The Ford GT story is pretty simple. Bill Ford said, we're doing a centennial. We need to do something special. Hmm. Now, this was 2001, guys. Right. Centennial is in 2003. Okay. And we started, we start. you know, we, we'd get the team together and we started talking about it. in Our conference, you remember the conference room, Jack?
0: Oh gosh. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We sit in the conference room and we start going through all this. And the one thing I said, we're not going to do, we're not going to do a me too car. Now a me too car was, we're not doing a Corvette fighter. Okay. We're not, you know, we're, we're not going to do nothing out there. That's already out there. Uh, one guy wanted to do, excuse me, our version of the Viper. And we could have uh, done that. Yep. I said it's me too. So we kept the I said, guys, at the end of the day, there's only one car in Ford's history that's uniquely Ford. Nobody will ever question its authenticity. Mm-hmm. And it's the GT, the GT40, right? Now the problem with that was we had nothing in the parts bin. Yeah. We had no platform. I mean, the car had to be done from ground up. All new, and we only had two years to do it. That's total you, again, totally it reminds, it reminds, scratch, totally from scratch. Yeah, I, I it reminds me much like the SN95. What's the worst thing that can happen? We're going to fail. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. Oh, I mean, at, at that stage of my career, John, if I fail, they throw me out the door. Okay, you know, I'd rather that's a good on, run. I, I'd rather have tried and failed than not have tried at all. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yep. Okay, so I told Bill Ford, "Here's what we're going to try to do. We're going to do. We're going to bring back the GT, the, Ford, the GT40 at the time. Right. And so we gave it, a, and that's 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 that was the basis for it. We were not going to do a car that was going to compete with Corvette. We were not going to do a car to compete with the Viper. We weren't going to. And then it just came to us that we should do something uniquely Ford. And the GT, the Ford GT40, was uniquely Ford. No, I don't think any question about that, right?
0: no it was unreal and you know i remember you bringing a ferrari to work and you were talking about the upper echelon of automotive dumb and you're going to go after the biggest fish in the pond and then that that suspension that chassis was unbelievable putting the motor i mean then the beautiful design i mean how did that that came together um it was a miracle john i i don't know who well, well
2: you don't you don't need to know about all the horse horror, you know, horror stories that led up to it but the the final product was support. And and I was very happy with it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the reason we got the Far imagine I went to listen to this, you're gonna love this story. You know, had we ever done a sports car at Ford Motor Company, John? The answer is no. No. Nope. We had never done a sports car. I mean, a true sports car in the in the vein of a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or something never. right. Never. Nope. So so I went, I, I, I put a request. Now, you gotta understand when this happened in 2001, we were in the midst of a mild recession. Mm-hmm. Ford Motor Company just took a $1.4 billion loss. Good God. And I put a request in to get a Ferrari Modena. <laughs> in, my es- in my estimation, the Ferrari, F- the F360 Modena was the finest sports car on the planet at that time. Mm-hmm. No question about it. I mean, it's just wonderfully done. Great ergonomics wonderful performance, uh, just everything about the car was nice. And it, was, it, didn't, it didn't hurt the fact that the GT went up against Ferrari on the racetrack in the 60s. Now <laughs> no. we were going to take, we take on the best of their road cars, right? Right. It, in my mind, it made sense. You know, the story made sense. So we go ahead, we go ahead and uh, we put an order in for this. And, uh, I mean, it got rejected immediately. Then I get called into the chief financial officer, Martin Ingalls. I don't know if you remember him. Oh God. Yeah. He was tough. So I go see Martin Ingalls and he called me. He says, John, you understand we just reported a one four, one $1.4 billion loss. And I see you just request, put a requisition in for a Ferrari. What are you crazy? I said, I said, I said, look, my team doesn't even know how to spell sports car, let alone how to drive one. I said, here, I said <laughs> we need something. We need something to benchmark for our car if we're going to. And the Ferrari is the car we got to benchmark and beat. You understand? How in the hell can they beat something if they don't know what the hell they're you know trying to beat? And he says, he says, you know, him any idea how much money we're going to lose on this thing? I said, you're not going to lose a dime on this. Ferraris mm-hmm. don't lose money. That's right. That's right. I said, you understand? He said to me, he says, the deal I made with Martin Ingalls at the time was, that when we sold the car, that we you know, two years. Down the road, I said yep. we wouldn't lose any money in the car, and you know he approved the program on uh, with that little deal I cut with him. Yep, and you know what? I, what I never told Martin was we beat the shit out of that car so bad we had we had five transmissions, two engines in it. I can't blame <laughs> any tires, brake. Enough, but, uh, if you rack hey, if you rack up all the parts we bought for that for <laughs> after we were done with it, they would need the price of the car. Looked like nothing. You could have made three of them. (laughs) Yeah, I never told him that part. (laughs)
1: That's the other Ford versus Ferrari that no one knows about. That's right. That's the
2: John
0: Colletti Ford versus Ferrari story. But John, John, I
2: mean, mean, at the end of the day, that was the right car to take on. And you know what? When we did our management drive, the final sign.
0: Have you guys ever seen that final sign-off video? Yes, that's a stunner.
2: Yeah, and our our manufacturing manager put that thing together. Was wonderful. But my point was. During the final sign off drive, when we were going up the uh, switchbacks in the Sierras, oh god, the Ferrari's naturally aspirated. You know what happens to the car as it's going up in altitude? <laughs> it's huffing and puffing, right? <laughs> yep, they GT was just eating it up, baby, all the way up the mountain. I'll tell you, it was just fun, oh. it was fun to watch.
0: Well, when you pulled it uh, up on the Centennial, the red, white, and blue, and the
2: uh, all those fans, and uh... oh, by, oh, by the way, the red, white, and blue. I yeah. was, I was asked to deliver one car, and when I sat down with the team and everybody said it's impossible to put a car together for the Centennial because we didn't have enough time, I said, "Well, if it's impossible to do one, we're going to do three of them." Now. <laughs> they said, "Why's that? Red, white, and blue, guys.
0: What, what could be more?" You know
2: my team. I'll tell you, my team. My team was the best team. You know, when they tell you that the first car is impossible, yeah, okay, the next two should be easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> But, John, that is exactly why
0: Mike Ray sat down, and we talked about doing this 30th thing. Can we get the team back together, at least most of your team? Could it be possible to try? I mean, Al Sedan was out in Maine somewhere building ships. or I mean, Janine yeah. Bay flying in from Jackson Hole. I mean, it, it, we went after everybody we could find. And then when you came, that had to be kind of cool to get the team back together. 30-year anniversary. Uh, what did you think of the effort that Mike and I put together?
2: Well, what you guys don't know is I still stay in touch with all the guys. And as a matter of fact, when I when I finally told you I cleared my business calendar so I can make it, Jen, Remember, I, yep. wasn't, I wasn't originally I wasn't going to make it. Yep. When I cleared the business calendar to make it, I started calling around and I started telling you know Chapman and all those guys. I started as Andy Slanker and all of them. I said, guys, you guys got you guys got to come. You were shaking I the bushes. I even got a hold of Goodnow, but Goodnow his health health wouldn't let him come. In other words, I was pushing on all the buttons <laughs> because. You know, I you know I figured if I'm going to be there, I I, to be frank with you, I it's not this credit doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the team at the end. You know, there it was all those guys. I mean, you know, yeah, okay, it's easy for me to sit there and take credit, but at the end of the day, without all those guys pulling it off, it it wouldn't work. I was sorry Bohanic couldn't make it. You know, in charge of the Terminator, and you know, it's just it's just one of those things. So. It it was good. Now you know a lot of the uh, the, the GT guys. A couple of them have passed away. I could, yeah. you know, obviously can't bring those back. No. And, uh, You know, and a couple of the guys are still working. One's working at Tesla and stuff like that. and in California. So I tried to I tried to get as many guys back as possible. But it's it was the team guys. It was yeah, it was. What
0: it was it really a great cool team. And they had such a great time signing autographs uh, and meeting with the people that you the cars that you guys built that. Team that you put together over those those years, that SVT was so dominant, people super appreciated that John and and Mike and I. Again, Mike, you you know how much we appreciated having John coming out there. Even though John, we did have that contingency plan of a cardboard cutout.
1: (laughs) But you know what though too is that we like we had people coming from all over the country. The one kid we gave him like twenty four hour notice that we could get him into the Hall of Fame event, and John he drove directly here from Virginia to come to meet you um and then turn around and go right back home just because he always wanted that opportunity so john- uh, it was,
2: it was, I, had, I had a lot of fun guys trust me Mr. John despite my reservations to come i had a lot of fun that, that, yeah, that was- means you'll come back
1: out with us in the future right <laughs> maybe, maybe.
2: okay well, we'll,
1: we'll, hold on. Maybe.
0: we'll hold on to that uh cardboard cut <laughs> up mr john cluddy thank you not only for the 1994 sn95 mustang and saving that hobby for us and then svt and all the great vehicles you build but thank you for still being a car guy and hanging out with us tonight on the mustang owners podcast we really appreciate your time john
2: hey my pleasure and i want to wish everybody good luck and long life
0: bless you very much we appreciate it well ladies and gentlemen that was a very special podcast mike i think Uh, That's going to be one for the the, the memory books. We're going to keep this one top center. What a great night it was to talk to John. My absolute favorite so far to date. We could talk to him forever. What a great bunch of stories. So, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoyed all these great stories. And until next time, we'll just have to catch you down the road.